Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 186 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, I've just returned from a trip to catch up with the borage and pumpkin farmer that we worked with through this summer. We had a really interesting chat and there are big plans for next season. So let's get planning. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Here we are again, another week, and I'm back with another podcast. The sun's shining, it's warmed up a bit, and the bees have been going crazy on orientation flights once more. Just because it's a quieter time for us in terms of inspecting, let's face it, we're not really inspecting right now, unless there's something amiss, It doesn't mean that we're not popping out to the apiaries. So visits to the apiaries are more, I guess, security checks and to make sure that everyone's out flying who should be out flying. The timing of my visit to the farm apiary was perfect this week. As I say, I wasn't there for any reason other than to watch the bees, check a few straps and make sure that everything was neat and tidy. Here at the farm, the hives are pretty much surrounded by oilseed rape. Now, I know I don't sound terribly excited, but honestly, I couldn't get much more excited. You'll just have to take my word for it. This location is where we have all of our honeypore Langstroth hives, and the various colonies are on single brood, double brood, and in one or two cases, triple brood. Not for any particular reason, simply that they were united colonies and the boxes had plenty of stores in them, so I've left them as they are to overwinter. I suspect they'll be full of ivy honey now because we've had a fantastic flow this autumn. The bees have really been packing it away. Anyway, I drove up to the first apiary. It was somewhere around late morning, reasonably warm and dry, maybe 13 or 14 degrees. All of the colonies were out flying, with several having so many bees flying out, it looked as if they were on a midsummer nectar flow. Quite a number of the colonies had bees on orientation flights. You know, that little manoeuvre where they creep out of the hive, look around a little pensively, and then take to the wing, turning quickly around to look back at where they've just come from. They then hover in front of the hive, keying in specific points of interest so they can identify their home among all the others. It also gives them a chance to get those flight muscles working and up to full strength. A bit like when you start the couch to 5k walk jog routine. You're not going to step out the door and run 5k straight off. Instead you take a little at a time building up your strength and ability. I'm sure it's the same for our honeybees a little endurance training before they go off into the big wide world. Only they obviously don't have Garmin watches with GPS to guide them back. Other brands are available, of course, but if you're listening, Mr Garmin, I quite like the new Fenix range. Anyway, I digress. 
Suffice to say, the colonies were looking really strong here. All of the straps were secure, roofs all in place, and everything seems to be in order. The oilseed rape plants all look in great shape too, a result of the weather that we've enjoyed this autumn, no doubt. And the pigeons have also noticed how well these brassicas have been doing too, and some areas did seem to have a small amount of damage. Hopefully, the gamekeeper will be out to scare them away in due course. Driving across to the second farm site showed that all of the fields with oilseed rape were in great condition, hence my excitement. We get a good crop of honey off this spring plant and it helps build colonies up for the main summer flow, so my mind has been reeling with plans for next year, but more of that in a moment. The second farm apiary, or rather the second apiary at the farm, is likewise in great shape. Bees were flying in much the same way as the first location. Hives were all strapped and secure. In fact, if I could have wished to have seen both of the sites in a specific condition, then this would have been it. Now I know there's a lot of water to go under the bridge and eggs in baskets, etc. But us beekeepers are an optimistic bunch on the whole, I find. Actually, I need to amend that slightly. When we look forward, we're an optimistic bunch. When we look back at the season that's just been, it's not always quite so rosy. During these visits to the apiaries, I don't really interfere with the bees at all. I take a sandwich and a drink, park up the ranger away from the flight path of the bees, and just watch them. What could be more pleasant? Lunch with the bees, a little warm sunshine and a gentle breeze. It was just perfect. Lunch done and back to reality. I had work to do. The practicalities of running a beekeeping business when you're not the owner of your own commercial buildings means that you're always having to get permission or run things by someone else before you can get anything done. And that's where I currently find myself. The new sink that I bought for the honey room hasn't yet been fitted as the landlords wanted to come down and see what I was planning. Now, I'm not totally familiar with all the rules and regulations of renting a commercial building and although I had read through my contract it came as a bit of a surprise to hear that the existing kitchen units that I thought I had purchased from the previous tenant were not in fact mine because they were fixed to the wall they are in fact apparently the property of the landlords. It's a long story and I won't bore you with it but suffice to say that the landlords are happy for me to do whatever I want as long as I put the building back the way it was when I took on the lease. It's caused a slight misstep in my plans for this week, but I'm going to work around it and see how things go. I have another 18 months on my existing contract to rent this unit, and who knows, if all my optimism is well-founded, I may need a bigger space when it comes to renewal. And that brings me nicely onto my meeting with Farmer Bob, as I like to call him. Not to his face, you understand, but it helps me differentiate between the various farmers that we chat to and help with pollination services. Now, he's not the most responsive chap. Emails go unanswered for several weeks sometimes, but he's a busy guy and I'm way ahead of the game in terms of planning for the borage next year. So I plan to catch up with him during the Halloween pumpkin season, but that never happened. I hasten to add, not through my lack of trying, and thus we ended up with a date in the diary for Wednesday of this week just gone. He said to call him an hour before I arrived just to make sure he could get back to the farm to meet me. I duly called and discovered he was not at the farm but in the Cotswolds on holiday. 
He apologised, obviously having double booked himself, and felt that a holiday was more important than the beekeeper. Who wouldn't, I guess? Anyway, luckily the farm manager was on site and had some maps that he could print out for me, so the discussion actually took place with someone who I'd be in regular contact with anyway. Now, some people would get a little uptight about this kind of situation, but I've always tried to be fairly relaxed about life generally. I do get a little stressed sometimes, like most people, but you just have to try to go with the flow. We looked at the maps and the same view on Google Earth. Isn't technology brilliant? It appears we're going to have to get working a little harder this winter, as the total area we're being asked to help with is up by around 40%, and that's just the borage. There's also a slight increase in pumpkin production, so that's going to need more colonies too. For those of you that haven't followed my borage exploits over this last season, I pretty much put everything we had on this farm for pollination, and although we had a reasonable crop, it was a fairly costly exercise in terms of time and fuel, and of course farmers don't want to pay for pollination. It does leave me with some hard decisions to make, and I need to make them sooner rather than later, and of course have that discussion with the farmer again. But let's just look at the numbers here. We're overwintering around 100 to 110 colonies. We'll lose a few, no doubt. That's just the way it goes over winter. So let's say we get through with 100 colonies to start next spring. The increase in crop pollination requirements translates into a total of 150 colonies. So it looks like I'm going to be around 50 colonies short. But I also need to maintain a core population of colonies at several apiaries as a commitment to those landowners at the farm apiaries I was talking about earlier, for instance. So that's another 20 or 30 colonies that need to be left in situ. So now I'm up to around 170 or 180 colonies, on paper of course. How then does a beekeeper go from 100 colonies to almost twice that number? Well, it's the same as increasing from 1 to 2, from 10 to 20, or 50 to 100. Splits. If I split every colony in the spring that throws up a queen cell, I'll probably double my stocks overnight, as it were. So you can see, it's easily doable. I just need more hours in the day to manage it all. As with most things in beekeeping, the investment is all up front. Planning and preparation are everything here. What will I need to build my stock up to this level of colonies in preparation for the summer pollination? You know what's coming. I need resources, particularly bees and forage. With this in mind, it'll be really important not to rush at this too early. Many a colony has been compromised at the beginning of a year by splitting them too early. Far better to wait a few weeks and let them build up to the point of swarming and then carry out the splits. With luck, I'll be able to use some of the plumpest swarm cells from selected colonies to raise new queens to populate these splits prior to getting into my own queen rearing around the same kind of time. Just thinking on the timing again, it really can't be overstated how important it is not to split colonies too early. Warmer weather and an increase in egg laying by the queen will signal the start of that season, but it's the drones that are the most important here. We need lots and lots of healthy, mature drones, ready to go out and do their thing, get lots of queens back safely from mating flights, and begin building those new colonies through the spring and the late oilseed rape flow. 
I often see the oilseed rape flower and wonder why the boxes are not filling up with honey, only to see a sudden rush towards the end of that flowering period. That, of course, triggers a frantic race to get home, grab more boxes and get them back out to the apiaries. I am slightly ahead of the game in some respects. We have quite a number of colonies on double brood boxes and those will split nicely. It's a simple case of taking the top box off, dividing the brood between the two boxes, setting them both up with floors, crown boards and roofs before moving one of them out of the apiary to another location. One will have the queen, the other will be queenless. Of course, that brings me back to thoughts of equipment. One of my biggest challenges is the mix of kit that I have. National, commercial, Langstroth, oh, and don't forget the top bar hive. <laughs> Not that I'll be taking that to the borage. There are going to be some serious numbers crunched over the coming weeks. Those honey pour brood boxes that I used as honey boxes this year will all be used as brood boxes in their own right. So I'll not only need floors, cover boards and roofs for them, but I'm also going to need supers for each of them. Like I said earlier, the investment is always up front with beekeeping. When I say I'm going to need supers, what I mean is a truck full of supers, or rather a lorry load of supers. If I double up all of the Langstroth kit, perfectly feasible, if I do that, then I'm going to need at least two or three supers for each. That's something like 140 to 210 supers. Hell, we're getting serious now, and that's just the Langstroths. Luckily, national supers will fit the commercial hives, and I've always overestimated how many supers I would need for those ever since I started. I've always been looking at empty supers at the end of the season, rather than full with honey type of supers. Maybe next year is the year. Like I said, always the optimist. I think I have something like two to 250 national supers, so that should keep us going for a while. But 250 supers is only three supers per hive for around 80 or so colonies. <laughs> Maybe we're going to need a bigger honey room after all. Well, that's it for this week. Stay positive and I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet.